Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Ryan, Big Jim and Goodyear with me as usual. We'll be having a chat with former England international Mike Brown as we discuss the storm surrounding Eddie Jones. Plus, we'll cover the big news out of Wales today with Warren Gatlin returning to the fold. And we'll be reviewing the action from Premiership and URC games over the weekend. So settle back, enjoy and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify so you get the podcast as soon as it's released every week. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid, featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh, my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford, or its affiliates. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Goody, where are you, mate? You're in, looks like you're in hospital. Uh, hospital? No, no, no. I have got a slightly tanned red face. I'm in the Sunshine Boys. I'm out in Dubai. I'm following Jim Hamilton's lead, and uh, I took the family out to Dubai for a bit of pre-Christmas sunshine. Reconnect with the family. We know we've been busy over November. So I'm out here getting some sunshine, watching a bit of the footy, uh, which Mrs. wasn't very happy about last night. I'll be Agaba England, 3-0 against Senegal. Were you an England fan, Jim, for that? Absolutely. I'm happy. <laughs> I'm not one of these. Like I've got Beck's sister over and her fiancé, who's Irish, who's supporting Senegal. I'm like, what are you doing, mate? I was like, you live in England. England are paying your wages because you work for a company in London and you're supporting Senegal. I just, I can't wrap my head around it. And I'm there sat in Edinburgh, the capital of Scotland, and there's all these dramas going on around stuff around should Scotland leave, should they go? I'm not bothered about that. I know that England are playing football and I'm supporting England. I'm a quarter English. I had a fucking England tattoo on me. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. No. I had a tulip on my arm. I had a tulip and everyone thinks it was an English rose, England till I die. I am fully supporting England. I've got no issue saying it at all. Yeah. Good man. Good man, James. I'll you actually look like you've leaned up for holiday. Thank like, you, do you James. do that? You know, like, like as in before holiday, you thinking like, right, holidays around the corner. I'm gonna fast for what do you reckon? six months. What do you reckon? I need two cans of coke for breakfast. Yeah, very true. <laughs> what do I reckon? I no, no, <laughs> no, I don't, Jim. But what I have done, as you know, I've got the dog uh, that we've had since end of September, and I'm meticulously walking the dog twice a day and getting about 15,000 steps in a day. So maybe it's just fallen off by accident. Like, this is where our lives are very different. Like, I'll walk the dog every day, and I don't see that as exercise. Like, that doesn't even come <laughs> into my mind. I, mean, I don't think, right, I'm going to walk the dog, and I'm going to get X amount of steps. It doesn't even, like, I'm not 60. You know what I mean? I'm not 60 or 70 years old where it's like, right, you need 10,000 steps. Beck's dad's doing that, and he's hundred and I mean, he's he's 70. So he'll go for a walk with the dog. That's his exercise. Is that what you're classing? as like exercise because you're getting 15,000 steps in a day. <laughs> no, Jim, it's not. It's just That's on top worrying. of... It's not. I do... You know, a spin class. I do probably two or three spin classes a week. 
Uh, and that's just to maintain the 106 kilos. So spin classes I've been doing for a long time now. I used to go out on the road bike when the weather was a lot better, but the weight just wasn't coming off. And I've noticed a bit of weight come off since having the dog, and I can only put it down to a load of walking. How are you, Jim? Not great, no. I'm just professional, cracking on. I was it. You know when we recorded the podcast last week? I fell ill during it. Like during the podcast, I fell ill. And did you? Just you know, I did. Like why you you know that I said to you on well, the you're podcast. You're just so professional. You just carried on like you nothing wrong. That's what I do. We've been doing it that long, and it's carried me through. Well, I say it's carried me through. If anyone else can carry you through, basically the fucking Hamilton household is on absolute lockdown. There's spewing. There's crying. There's moaning. One thing I realised, right? I have got no phobia about sick or shit, dog shit, people shit human sick i will clean it up at, like as in no question straight in with me hands and cloths and in buckets no issue at all that's what i've been doing that's the kind of man i am in the hamilton household someone spews on the floor i'll pick it up put that on your cv i know i I'm, do i need a cv i don't know <laughs> i think do I you? Do. Well, well, are, you, are you sure jim because i don't know whether to play the people i don't know, the, I don't know whether to play the people the voice now i'll be honest right when my kids are sick the smell of sick i've got a very bad gag reflex so any bad smells like the bin smell or like someone else being sick or something like that i'm gagging myself so i'm awful at that so my missus knows when the kids are sick it's all you love it's and I, I, that's not anything else but i'll be sick what on a top of sick yeah well she knows it because i'll be i'll be stood there gagging if the kids are being sick so i don't know do i play the people the voice note jim that you sent me because you're claiming to be a man of the people that you're just on your hands and knees cleaning up the sick but it's not quite what you said to me over WhatsApp voice note, was it, James? Yeah, because I was just trying to be like banter and alpha, <laughs> like it's not. <laughs> like, I have been. I have been helping out. And Play I've been it. working as well. Like, as in, I had to go to work on Friday, host a wooden spoon lunch in Edinburgh, and then commentate on a game. And I'd had about two hours sleep. I had sick under my fingernails, and I did it. I just got on. I just fronted up and just did what had to be done. You could arguably say I wasn't amazing. People said that I sounded a bit weird, a bit nasally, a bit gruff. Beck was loving it, though. She likes a gruff voice, and that's what... <laughs> well, not that she watched the game. I don't even think she watched the game, but if she did, my God, she would have been shaking. <laughs> Can you play the voice note? Uh, here we go. Mate, tell the Hamilton household that. Everyone fucked. Spewing. Beck was up all night. I've told her, look... you. The kids are screaming, even though you're spewing, you need to get up because once I'm out of bed, I can't go back to sleep. So she did. Yeah, that's the truth. Like, what I sent you there is is the truth. But you just told but us... I've you, had to help out a bit. Yeah, you just told us you're a man of the people and you're on your hands and knees clearing up sick, but what you've actually done is say to the missus, Beck, I don't care that you're spewing, the kids are screaming, I can't sleep, so you get up and deal, deal with it yourself, right? Well, that's because I've had to come down to London and record the podcast. So that was last <laughs> night. But like before that, I'm up. I don't. I can't operate. If I get up in the night, like as in if I need a wee, I won't go for a wee because I can't get back to sleep. My mind starts playing tricks on me that, you know, like any, it could be anything. The fact that I could play rugby again or like I'm a wild man and I'm going to get up the next morning and run up the mountains. And then I've had realised I've had four hours sleep and I can't think straight. So I need like sleep. That's it. Like that's the number one thing. Like, you need food, Judy. You need food and cigarettes. I need sleep and water. <laughs> They're the two things to operate. I Jim, I don't smoke. I vape sometimes. All right. Well, same thing. Puffs, puffs out some kind of smoke thing. Looks cool as fuck, though. Well, we'll get on to Eddie in a second. 
because I'm sure you've got something to say about that, Gertie, but news just broke that Gatland is returning to Wales. Massive shout by the WRU. Right call or not? Don't like it. I said it. Love Gatland. Really? Yeah, I just think it's, yeah, they've just reverted to a type and it's a great type, but I think it's bigger. The issues are bigger than Gatland. And yes, the romance of seeing him come in is going to spark the adrenaline and the happiness of the Welsh public because, as we know, he's amazing for Wales, what he's done for Wales, everything around the way that he interacted with the fans and the championships that he brought. But as we know and as we've spoken about on here and as people closer to the team and Welsh rugby have spoken about, like there's deep issues, like deep-rooted is the phrase that's been banded about around the regions, around grassroots rugby. And a few things that I read, and I don't agree with this, Gatland, I know you listen to this, Warren, and I love you. People are saying that during his tenure as Wales coach, like he could have helped them problems and fix them problems and be part of the evolution and making sure these things didn't happen, which I disagree with. I don't think that's Warren Gatland's job to do that. But I do wonder, right, whether they could have brought him in not as a head coach, but almost like a director of rugby, as it were. Like I'm trying to think of a, a comparison. I don't think there is any there. Basically, CEO of the WRU. Like I think, could Warren do a job like that? Are you talking? A, I don't know, what about what about Bernard the Door in France? Bernard Laporte, the kind of role that he's doing. Is exactly, that what you're talking about? Exactly that. Exactly that. Which is very different to what they've had before. And that way, Warren Gatlin could maybe help in the interim. He could then help appoint a coach. He could persuade a Sean Edwards to come back as head coach. And then you could have a look no at chance. The, uh, Yeah, I know. Well, I know he signed another four-year deal, but surely, they, well, it's money. It comes down to money, doesn't it, I suppose? I understand the romance around it, but stuff needs to get sorted in the regions. Is Gatlin going to come in and help that? Like, There's no doubt about it. There'll be a spike in energy. One thing that I think Gatlin will bring in will be that 60-cap rule. We've seen Will Rowlands. He's gone over to Racing 92 in Paris. Why would you leave the Dragons to go to Paris? Um, <laughs> you tell you why, because they can't offer any contracts at the minute, can they? Exactly that. So that's going to have to be abolished. I've, you know, reading stuff around Hadley Parks coming back from Japan. Like, Gatlin's going to want full pick of the very best players, especially in the short term. It's good for Wales. I just don't know long term, because he's up in, I think he's got up until Australia, which is the World Cup after the World Cup in France, so in five years' time, effectively. Are you questioning Warren Gatland's coaching since he left Wales a couple of years ago? The Lions wasn't great. His record in New Zealand hasn't been great. Is that what you're saying, Jim? Because, you know, you sound negative about it. You're saying he's not the right man. James Hook said the same thing as well, didn't he? I'm not necessarily saying it's the wrong way to go. I think it's the easier move in terms of we know that he loves Wales. He's got that relationship with Wales. What it highlights to me is that Scott Robertson, probably isn't available. Does that mean Scott Robertson's going to be England coach? England. Or, or does that mean that Scott Robertson is in line to be the All Blacks coach after the World Cup? So this is why, because there's a few moving things, isn't there? Like with Eddie Jones and stuff, and you look at the names that are in the ring for that. The question is, and Di Young made a really interesting point last week when someone said to Di Young, who's a Welsh legend, and he's coached in places of adversity with Wasps and Cardiff, and he's like, I don't want it. <laughs> Like, as in, don't give it to a Welshman. Like, a Welshman's not ready. He doesn't want it because he knows of the issues and the dramas around it. And that's a massive statement because when's that job going to come back around? Well, if Gatlin wants to keep it, it's going to be Australia. Die's going to be about 85, isn't he? So he might have missed the boat. But for him to say that, and he could have stepped in, I wonder if he got offered the job. Maybe he said no, and they were thinking, actually, 
Who else is there? If Scott Robertson isn't available, if he was, would they have taken him? Maybe. You know, if Ronan O'Gara, he's taken his hat out of the international ring to stay with La Rochelle. So maybe Warren Gatland is that stopgap they need just to stop the rot, if you like. But I think when Pivak Goody became intenable, really, because of the loss to Georgia, that was the one, wasn't it? That was the nail in the coffin. Well, it's interesting, Jim. I know, you know, some people are massively for Warren Gatland, the romanticism around him going back to be the Wales coach. Some of them think it's a short-term fix and it's going back over old ground. You said you don't necessarily agree with it. I just want to read a quote out from Steve Phillips, who's the Wales CEO, the Welsh Rugby Union CEO. His quote was, by employing Warren Gatland, this is not a quick fix or a sticking plaster, but part of our long-term planning for the game in Wales. So at what point have you long-term planned, thought, let's let Gats go, and then when we're fucked because we've lost to Georgia and Italy in the Six Nations, we're going to get rid of Wayne Pivak. We're actually going to get Warren back. And by the way, we, we can't offer anyone any contracts at the minute because we haven't agreed a deal with all the clubs around and the professional game board in Wales. So uh, people just talk in riddles, don't they? This, Jim, you're the riddler. Maybe, Jim, this is for you. Because Steve Phillips, the Wales CEO, said this is part of a long-term plan. Well, it's a knee-jerk reaction by getting rid of them, isn't it? Because they lost to Georgia. So there's muddled thinking everywhere, Jim. Who's on all these committees? Who's making these statements? Just be honest and say, we're fucked. Dinosaurs we're, are. We're going back to Warren G. Regulate. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, that was statement was made for him, wasn't it? Warren G, regulate. <laughs> there you, you go. go. That's what they've You're done. You're a genius, Jim. Actually, who's You're the CEO? What's his name? Steve Clark, Steve Bill, what's his name? Steve Phillips. Steve Phillips. He's just, mate, he is. He's gone Warren G and his grandchildren, he's probably got great-grandchildren have said regulate and he's gone right, bang, Warren G. There it is, there Warren Ball. Bang. Well, let's move on to England then. Eddie Jones, Bill Sweeney are having a meeting today, which is Monday when we're recording the pod. The board are meeting tomorrow, which is Tuesday, with the RFU set to make an announcement this week. The Sydney Morning Herald is saying that Eddie is gone. I reckon with all the hysteria... He's gone. I reckon with everything that's going on, there's no smoke without fire. There's no, no snowball without piss. Like, as in, <laughs> it is literally <laughs> hand in hand, it's happening. Hey. Oh, I'd love to be at Christmas at the Hamiltons when it's snowing. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Like, Warren Gatland obviously was an option if you're looking for someone to change Eddie Jones to. Like, I, I think Eddie Jones' time's up. But then where do you go? That's the big question. Where do you go and find someone? Do you go and get Scotty Robertson? And I'll come on to it in a bit. Will the NZR, if you allow that to happen, can't see it. You know, it's going to cost them a lot of money. Steve Borthwick's in the picture. Like Jim said, there's no smoke without fire. And you do hear rumours that he's already gone. Now, we know Eddie Jones loves the media, right? And we know that he has advisors, people around him that talk about things to get out in the press at the right time. Well, his media advisor, David Pembroke, has described Bill Sweeney as slippery. So if that's not saying he's getting the boot, he's getting the boot, I reckon. So I don't know. Slippery? What does he mean by slippery? I could see him call him a sleeping bag, but not slippery. <laughs> well, apparently he's slippery. I don't know. I don't know the context of it. He's, it was in a newspaper that he said it. He's apologised for it as well. So if your media advisor is calling your boss slippery. You've either got to sack your media advisor or you're getting sacked yourself, right? So I don't know. It's The review's going on. Who's this review panel? We know it's Saru McGeek and we know it's 
uh, Jonathan Webb, who's a doctor, and we know it's Philip de Glanville, who's part of the RFU Council, whose son is a very good player at Bath. But how much knowledge have these guys got of day in, day out rugby, of the environments, of the players, and all this stuff? And who are the other six people on the panel that want to remain anonymous? So, loads of question marks. What's Connor O'Shea doing? What's Eddie Jones's next steps if he does leave? Who are England going for? I think he's sacked. I've heard he's sacked. Austin bet me a house in Monaco that he was sacked last week so Austin Healy owes me a house in Monaco because he didn't get sacked last week but apparently he's getting sacked on Tuesday so sacked in the morning he might be getting sacked in the morning who knows let's get our guest on now then because he's had plenty to say on Eddie Jones former Harlequins Newcastle and England fullback Mike Brown joins us how are you mate yeah I'm good thanks how are you we're good Brownie we're good very good good to see you again uh first and foremost we'll get on to the Eddie Jones chat in a bit because we're reading all sorts of different stories and quotes from yourself as well, which is great. But first and foremost, how are you? I know we saw each other at Twickenham uh, last weekend, obviously just before South Africa against England. Had a good chat. You had a great time with the bar bars. Have you recovered? Like, is the is the liver recovered from a few days of big drinking and a, a couple of games of rugby? Yeah, no, bar bars was was uh, class probably up there, not at the top of some of the best times I've had in in my rugby career. It was it was class. Um, yeah, it was. It was uh, for for someone who's not a massive drinker. It was quite um, an eye opener to a few things. But no, it was. It was uh, no, it was great fun. And I just wanted to go in there with you know an open mind and just go with whatever, whatever was happening. To be honest, someone who's quite intense with the rugby in the past and you know solely focus on this kind of performance side. Just wanted to go in there and just enjoy it. And yeah, I absolutely loved it. Great bunch of lads, coaches and management. We just had a had great fun on and off the field and. It was great to get that win, you know, the the last kick of the game from DMAC at the end, just some, you know, just topped off the week nicely. What was the training week like, Brownie? The ones that I've been in before consisted of an Auckland grid and a two-step lob at the line out. <laughs> and then we went in to play the Lions off the back of that. Was there more off razor than that? The term training kind of is very loose with with uh with the bar bars. We didn't quite have the Auckland grid. That would have been nice to kind of throw it back and and get that in there, but no, it was it was really light, just a bit of touch and a bit of team shape. But yeah, just just a bit of crack and chucking the ball around. Yeah, you know, just having a bit of a laugh and a jog around. But no, it was good fun. And what about for you then, Brownie? I, I, I've not heard anything around retirement or anything like that. Was it a, an opportunity to be in the shop window? Can you just let the listeners know where things are in terms of your career? Because it was weird because we were chatting, but also watching you playing for Newcastle. You were playing week in, week out. And then with everything that's kind of happened around rugby and the salary caps and the demise of Worcester and Wasps, it seems like opportunities for players at the end of their career or perceived at the end of their career through their age have struggled a little bit to get contracts. Were you putting yourself in the shop window? Are you still wanting to carry on? What's the crack? Yeah, like I still want to carry on with the right opportunity. I mean, in, in terms of putting myself in the shop window, it wasn't really about that, the Barbarians for me. It was about... Like I said, just going there with open mind and enjoyment side of it, just chucking the ball around and kind of seeing if I could do it again. That was that was the only apprehension I had going in there. It'd been like seven months since I last played. I did a couple of um training sessions down at Worthing, who are who are national too, because their head coach is Jordan Turner, who obviously I know from my time at Quinns really well. So I'd only done a couple of sessions with them. So it was a bit like can I still do it? But yeah, I, I thought I played pretty well, enjoyed it. I feel like I contributed, so I still feel like the legs have got it in, in them to to do a few bits uh, if needed. But it's not like I'm sat here hanging on for for a job. I was still 
kind of working through my transition anyway and that's been accelerated with the situation I'm in so yeah for me it's just it's just moving on with my transition stuff and see which opportunity comes first playing or non-playing and then yeah go from there really and did you take the Mike Brown intensity down to Worthing Raiders and how did the lads find that in training (laughs) do you know what they actually quite enjoyed it I wasn't I wasn't as bad as I've, I've been in previous years but it was quite good from going from kind of a little bit of coaching and just shouting at them to actually showing I could do a bit still on the field. So, you know, now that I, you know, got a bit more of a yeah, backing that I can, you know, give them a bit of stick when I'm back there doing a few bits of coaching, but yeah, I got stuck in they, to be fair to them. They, they throw it about as well. So I had to go in, you know, pretty hard because otherwise they were going to, you know, start putting shots on me and all sorts. So no, it was good. Brownie, we're recording on Monday, right? So the news of, Wayne Pivak going and Warren Gatlin coming in. But I know that you're a deep thinker of the game. Are you naturally well-versed in terms of what you've done in your career around team and leadership and all these things? Do you think it's the right decision, firstly, on on Wales, in terms of Pivak going and Gatlin coming back in? What was your initial response when that came out? Deep thinker of the game. I'm not, not sure about that. Um, do you know what? I haven't... <laughs> I haven't watched so much of Wales, to be honest. It shows how much of a deep thinker I am. They got beat by Um, Georgia and Italy. That's all you need to know. That's like (laughs) the the headline. Yeah, look, it probably needed some change. This is the right time to make change if you're going to do it, isn't it? Because, you know, you've still got a year. We know in sport there's going to be a reaction when there is a change at the top. Um, We've seen it across all sports. They've, you know, taken the decision to do that. Whether it's the right or wrong option, we'll see. But, you know, for them, a no better man to kind of take the reins now is there than Warren Gatlin. You know, he knows the place inside out. They love him. You know, he'll get immediate buy-in from from supporters, from the Welsh Union, the players with the calibre he's got behind him. So um, if if there is someone that can turn the ship and uh, get them back into winning ways, it's him, unfortunately. Was there no whispers of Scott Robertson when you were on the Barbars? Was there any whispers of him heading over to Cardiff for chats or anything like that? Was he asking any of the Welsh? Did you have any Welsh lads in the squad? No, I don't think we did, actually. They weren't good enough to get in, so... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, no, I, sp- I spoke to him a little bit about his England stuff, you know, being in the picture for that. And he just said to me, look, he's desperate to make the step up and take on an international team, whoever that 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 may be. So, you know, he's... He's keen and open to opportunities because obviously it's well documented that New Zealand kind of turned him down. So he's probably not happy, too happy about that, not he, that he said. So he's open to just taking that next step up for himself and, and showing he can do it on the, on the international stage. So if I was any international teams looking to make changes, you know, I would be all over him, not in a weird way, but, you know, to get him on board because he's done it for one of the most successful club teams in the world. You know, he obviously understands about high performance, but also the other side of it, about creating environments and cultures that lead to success, consistent success. So I would be getting him in for chats as soon as possible if I was, you know, the head people at uh, whichever country needed needed change. Let's get the blood and guts then. Uh, Eddie Jones, is he staying? Is he going? Obviously, I've read some of your comments in the press and your thoughts on it. You think the time's right to... Give Eddie the boot, right? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> the sigh. Yeah. You've got to be careful, haven't you? Because you don't want to sound like that bitter person that, you know, like I did, end it, end it on not great terms with him. And you've always got to be careful taking opinions of present and previous players because it's so hard as a present player in that squad to say what you think because obviously they're they're protective of, of 
what they want to do and that's play for England and people like myself that have left the environment can come across bitter or might not have um, great feelings towards Eddie so you know you've got to be careful with that but if you look at the facts which which what I was trying to get get across in my column you know he's the highest paid international coach I believe you know he's got the highest budget he's got endless amounts of coaches and consultants he's got unbelievable depth of talent you know if you compare what they've got at least in that starting 15 if not 23 if not 35 man squad compared to any other country in the world you know you'd back them all day long so he's got the talent so something's not right Unfortunately, as the head man, he's got to be held to account, which doesn't seem to have happened in the last couple of years um, from the RFU, in my opinion. But I just think someone like Razor, if you're going to pin me down to one person, I think now in sport, it's much more than just being tactically and technically astute on the field, on the pitch, on the grass, whatever. There's more to it. It's about creating environments, culture, being aware of yourself, being aware of people around you. And for me, like compared to anyone else I've experienced, you know, Razor just seems to have it. You know, he he was building connections with myself and other people within hours of, no, of of knowing him. You know, like I'd known him for for years. It was it was slightly weird, but speaking to him, he's he's done a he obviously has it. Like he's able to do it, but he's also done a lot of work in understanding personalities and how to get the best out of them, how to build environments to to do that. Unbelievable awareness of himself and and work that he's done on that to then be able to get a team around him of coaches or, or whatever else to to fill in those gaps that he may not be as good at, if that makes sense. So just having those conversations with him and, and thinking what a modern day kind of head coach needs now, I think, um, I think you'd be ideal. See, Brownie, you are a deep thinker. That's what I said. Mm. That was the start of it. We're just getting into it now. <laughs> but I 100% agree with you, mate. I spoke to Scotty Robertson and we were talking about them specific things. And He's one of them guys that whoever's worked with him, whether or not like you have in the Barbarians, where it's easy to work with people because it's on a bit of a jolly and you know the, the atmosphere is very different. But you, who didn't really know him before, didn't know him at all, I'm sure many players in that Barbarian side, his club side is exactly the same. But anyone who's had any dealings with him, and this is the buzzword, but also the main point, on a human element, right? A human level, man-to-man, have all said the guy is unbelievable. And I just think with England, like you've just said, all of the things that have got the access to the money, which is big, the players, which is huge, and the amount of players in the talent pool. But I just find Eddie Jones, and he might be a lovely man, but just in terms of a human element, like the way that he spoke to Sonia McLaughlin on an interview before when she's asking him a question doing a, doing a job, like when you try and get access to the players and these different things, it just seems so closed off. It's mental. And on the flip side of that, you've got someone like Razor, who's the polar opposite and fucking breakdance. <laughs> Sis, <laughs> after every win, uh, Mike. But having worked with Eddie, do you, do you feel like he's lost a little bit of the, I don't know, like that kind of Australian charm, if you want to put it at that, that he seemed to have had have a little bit at the end. It seems almost a bit tiresome now. Yeah, I just, I just think... From my experiences in rugby, it's, there's just got to be that balance of the high performance side, which Eddie does have to be fed to him in terms of what I'm saying in, in his coaching and stuff like that. And when he first came in, getting us to understand the high performance side of recovery and detail and what we needed to do to improve that team. But there's just no balance for me through my own experiences kind of and kind of speaking to people since and also seeing what's on the on the field. It's just got to be more to it than just 
trying to win in that high performance side. There's, there's, there has to be. I, I, through my career, I've spoken to um, Welsh and Irish players, Scottish, but they're not as successful, are they? So they don't really count. But <laughs> beat England back to back. Mate, just they say. beat us. They keep beating us. They seem to come out of camps and and really enjoy and want to go back in and and, and enjoy their time. And I just think there's got to be more to it. And, and just thinking of someone that, that can be a bit of out, out of the box uh, candidate in Razor, not that usual kind of RFU man. Think about what's going to get the best out of these players from their personalities and, and things like that. Because we know who's going to be there for this World Cup. We know who's most likely going to be taken on to the next cycle as well. We can look at their personalities and what we think would get the best out of them and kind of pick someone that can do that. You know, look at someone like Marcus Smith. You can't tell me that he's playing like he does for Harlequins. There's not a chance. And it's the key position. And, and that's like the number one position. And he's not playing anywhere near like what he looks like. Everything just points to the environment for me. It has to, you know, the turnover of staff, the, the way the players are playing, what they're producing on the field, the stories we keep here coming out of camp or, you know, from people that leave camp. All points to the environment. So we need someone in there that's going to create um, an environment that allows these players to flourish. And, I, you know, we don't want to see Marcus Smith, who week in, week out, is, is having unbelievable comebacks in a Harlequin shirt, kicking the ball out in, in what's essentially a friendly against a 14-man New Zealand team where they could have won and had, a, you know, what, what an achievement that would have been to get that comeback and get that win. That's what should have been driving them and being brave. You know, that's what something that Razor said all week was just be brave, be brave on the field. He encourages you to be brave all the time. So just wanted to be brave and, and show what they, you know, the talent that they've clearly got. Yeah. hundred percent. Looking at it. And one of the things you said around Eddie's environments, it's an environment of fear. And I completely agree with a lot of things you've said. The one thing I can't quite get my head around, and I've been there myself as a player is all the stuff you hear from the players that are in camp. They all seem to speak very positively about Eddie Jones. Now, I don't know whether that is because of the fear, whether that is because of the fear themselves of not getting picked. We've seen what's happened to Danny Kerr and other players, maybe yourself a little bit, standing up to, to what Eddie said and done. But the bigger names all seem to back him, right? And is that just a consequence of wanting to play for England and you don't want to say anything out of line where you know you're just going to get chastised aside because... It doesn't add up, does it? Yeah, that's what I was kind of referring to at the start. You know, having been aware of of who you kind of who, who we're kind of listening to. You know, present players or past players, because it's so hard. Like we know what it's like when you when you're in those environments, you're getting picked. Especially if you're getting picked, you're not going to say anything. Especially with all that's riding on playing for England, you've got guys in there that would absolutely love playing for England. Rightly so. I loved playing for England. Like it was all I wanted to do since the age of five, and there'd be. 30 odd guys in there exactly the same as, as me. So they're not going to want to jeopardize that. There's the financial side, especially now. You're not going to make decent amount of money unless you're starting regularly for England because of how bad the contracts are. So are you going to put that on the line by calling someone out, the head guy? Well, of course you're not. You mentioned if they got a review of the players that you might get an honest review. Do you think if they asked like Farrell, Smith, Atoji, do you think if those guys were part of the review as a leadership group, they'd come back and give them positive feedback? If it was anonymous and those guys were part of the review? Who knows? Anonymous. I don't know, yeah. That's a good question. <laughs> That's what they said they're going to do, Brownie. That's the rumour out there that the panel, whoever the panel is, if it is Geach and all these guys, 
uh, from 1932. Stop being horrible, Jim. Um, <laughs> but they're the ones uh, that are going to go and ask, like, anonymously, whatever that means. Things are, if you haven't got the best track record with anonymous reviews, have they? It always seems to come out, even though this this face of pan, panel never comes out. But all these other reviews, that, there was that stuff with, with uh, Minty Nikista, wasn't there? That stuff that came yeah. out. And there's stuff that come out in reviews before. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But it's... I think it's about going out and doing a proper review, you know, speaking to DOR, speaking to club coaches, speaking to players anonymously as 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 much as you can, you know, getting people on the panel that understand high performance environments, understand, and that, that can be across all sports, understand the landscape and ecosystem of the premiership rugby, whether as a player recently or as a coach. I kind of referenced Richard, someone like Richard Wrigglesworth, still a player, but very much a coach as well been in England and uh, the England squads before and loves everything about playing for England. Someone like that, you know, Ugo, who understands the the landscape and ecosystem of uh, Premiership Rugby because he's doing it, you know, every day as his job and has good opinions. People like that, you know, maybe even, even you two. <laughs> hey, what are you laughing at? Biggest rugby podcast in the world. Hey, I don't think anyone's taken my opinion. Scottish legend. I'd be completely honest. And you're right. There's very few people that wouldn't have an ulterior motive around an opinion on Eddie Jones. Whether you're an England player, you can't give your honest opinion, right? Whether you're an ex-player with an axe to grind, maybe, or, you know, you don't like some of the things he does. Whether you're, I'm an ex-player myself. Do I like the way Eddie Jones, Jim mentioned it earlier, handles himself in the press? No, I don't. Do I like the way that the team is set up and the way they play? No, but we're in a results-driven business. And what you've you got to say, he's England's most successful coach ever with a 74% win record. But again, seven years in, I think his his voice has gone stale. So yeah, it's it's so difficult to get honesty. What's the win percentage now after t- like two years, say two years? Yeah, last two years has been shocking. Yeah, yeah, no, I completely agree. So you, you can always make up stats that suit a narrative, right? So it's difficult, you know, to find true honesty and, and, and opinions of people. You know, I spoke to Austin Healy the other week and he said that he was gone. He bet his house in Monaco that he got sacked last week. So one, Austin hasn't got a house in Monaco. And two, no, he, hasn't. He, didn't, he, didn't get, he didn't get sacked last week. So Austin owes me a house in Monaco. But yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult, isn't it? And the faceless panel, they've gone with Jonathan Webb, Phil de Glanville and Sarina McGeekin as the three people they've named. They've not got any rugby current rugby experience. So Brownie, you're dead right around... Who do they go to? Whose opinions they matter? But one man they do have in there that you know very well is Connor O'Shea. Do you know much about his role in it and what sort of he's doing at the RFU? Because not many people do, do they? No. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the way I see his role is essentially the, um, the kind of sport and director that should sit between Eddie and the board and the CEO. So the business side and the performance side. Whether that happens or not, I'm not quite sure. I wouldn't like to possibly comment on that. But that's what essentially should happen in that role, from my understanding, because it's kind of what I'm doing at Union would like to get to that role in, in the future. So they, yeah, like I said, are, are the um, are kind of the, the link between the business side and the performance side. And they're supposed to make sure everything on the performance side is aligned to that, the environment, the culture of a good standard as well. So that's the pathway, the academies, the S&C, the medical, the, the first team, and looking after all those one thing I found really weird, Brownie, is when a player is playing so well consistently. We've seen it with Danny Kerr, Alex Goode back in the day, Don Allman back in the day as well, and a number of others. Like There's loads in the Premiership that have been carving up and get overlooked. Why do you think when the media build a narrative, and it's a good narrative, and you think about the people in the media, guys like Ugo, Austin, who know the game, Jim and Goody, who claim to know the game, but 
when there's a mass consensus of ex-players and experts chomping at the bit to get a player in, and Eddie Jones does the absolute opposite. Sam Simmons, exactly the same. He does the complete opposite of what the media and experts think. And you can see form guys and playing guys out of position as well. Well, I'd like to think Alex Goo didn't play because I did a decent job, but... That was why. <laughs> that was why. But he wasn't even in the squad. Apparently, he wasn't. Mate, Brownie, it's a Saracens wasn't, thing again. That it? was Brownie. a little dig, wasn't it, Jim? That was. Yeah. He wasn't yeah. even in the squad. Mate, he wasn't even in the squad. Do you know what I mean? Like, as in, you'd be my 15, safe as ours. I shouldn't even have mentioned it, should I? Um, <laughs> Why'd you make Danny Kerr not been in? <laughs> individual cases, aren't they? I mean, you look at someone like Danny Kerr, he obviously thought he was better off the bench. Danny didn't like it, challenged him, was gone, but then he brought him back in. What I don't understand is him bringing him back in at his age, knowing that he's not going to change. He's going to give you exactly what we all know he can give you and do it bloody well. And he's one of the best in the world at doing what he does well. And then taking him off, what was it, half time or just before half time? Why even bring him back into the squad? You may as well have taken all the young lads that you had nine and try them all. Like just to let him know that he's the daddy. This is what I mean. So someone like Danny, that was just for me pointless. And again, I don't think that's thinking of him as a person very much, is it? You know, bringing him in back in. Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I think. Maybe it's it's driven by, you know, ego and wanting to feel like he knows best or or things like that. But then again, as a head coach, you can't just react to every single name that's thrown out there. I mean, look at the look at the uh, English football team at the moment. James Madison, everyone was going on about him before the World Cup. He's not yet featured once, and no one's mentioned his name once because the team are doing so well. So, yeah, I think sometimes it's him as a person, what he's like, but sometimes. You can understand he has to go with what he thinks. He can't just fold every time someone says a name. Yeah, 100%. Now, the last thing I'll ask you on this then. So uh, I couldn't quite work out your opinion whether you wanted Eddie Jones out the door and whether you wanted Razor in. But if that doesn't happen, <laughs> say say Eddie Jones does get the boot and Razor doesn't get the job, uh, who would you go for uh, if it wasn't Razor? Ronan O'Gara. He's ruled himself out, though, so we need another one. So basically, it's only four feet left, isn't it? So. <laughs> Wrong man. Wrong man for the job. You guys think Borthwick's not the right guy for it? I just think he was kind of Eddie's understudy. He, he kind of learned through Eddie. So it'd be a bit of the same, same. I think, again, he's an um, obviously an unbelievable ta- tactician and technically and tactically knows his stuff. And from my experience of him and, and you know, hearing from the guys at Leicester, you know, his detail and and things like that. I mean, his intensity is, 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 is amazing. But I just think... Like Jim's saying, I don't know if he's the right man for now. They need more than just on the grass stuff, unless you bring someone in sitting above him. But then will Steve want that when he's, you know, he's done that with Eddie and he's, you know, the main man at Leicester. And, you know, where does that leave Connor in his role? You need someone, as, as you like you saying, Brownie, not just the rugby, which is so important. People think, right, what are they talking about? You're stupid. We need we. England needs someone that can engage that can engage the media and the people as well. Do you know what I mean? And that's why you're talking about Razor. That's why I'm talking about Razor because it's more than just on the pitch. And with all due respect to Steve, I've got a huge amount of respect for him. He's not that engaging in terms of the media and in terms of the masses, the people that are paying ridiculous amounts of money to watch England play. No one really is as engaging as Robertson, are they? Well, there you go. If you look at someone like Gareth Southgate, he is not razor by any stretch of imagination but he's engaging english public he's got them on board which 
buyed him a bit of time recently when he was going through a bit of a sticky patch. You know, he's clearly creating an environment there where those guys love playing for England. And we know plenty of English football teams that have had all the talent, you know, like the Rio Ferdinand, Lampard, Gerrard era, but couldn't do it, you know, for an English shirt because, you know, and they all talk about, you know, the cliques and the environment. Gareth Southgate's in whatever he's done has clearly created an environment where they love playing for England. They can go out and express themselves, you know, within their framework, be individuals, but also buy buying into, you know, what it means to be in that, you know, English team culture and environment and all pulling in the right direction. All love seem to love each other as mates, which is amazing to see on and off the field. But yeah, like you said, has has got the public and, and everyone buying into what they're about as well, which also buys you a bit of time when you go through a sticky patch, but also is is very powerful when you get to some tournaments like they're in now. As you could see with South African team, how powerful that was with everything they had pushing them forward in that last World Cup. There you go. Let's get Razzy. If it's not Scott Robertson, <laughs> let's get Razzy Rasmus. That's what he just said. <laughs> I'd love him. Hey, well, thanks very much for coming on the show, Mike. And we'll see you at the live show yeah. in, uh, at the O2 in Fib. Yeah, looking forward to it. Bring, Bring your drinking, drinking boots, mate. That's all you need. He doesn't own any. <laughs> Need to find some drinking boots, bro. Yeah, yeah, I'll try and find them. And if not, you can uh, yeah, show me the way. Yeah, you can borrow mine. Or goodies. It depends who you want to borrow. I'm a smoke bomber, so you might want to borrow my drinking boots. If you borrow goodies, you'll be out till six in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, don't tell the missus. No, I didn't. I didn't. No, it's fine. Brilliant. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thanks, Brownie. Cheers, Legend, mate. mate. Appreciate it. Legend. Good luck with everything, Thank bro. you. Catch you soon. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games... It's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Ugg. Y'all know Ugg is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think Ugg season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from Ugg. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. Ugg has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at Ugg.com. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln and the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid featuring customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. Top lad. Top lad. Yeah, he is. He is. Do you know what? The more I've got to know Brownie away from the field, and Jim, I don't know how much you know Brownie away from the field. You look at him on the field when you play against him and you think, what a tool. But he's so passionate and intense about playing for his own team and doing everything for his own team to win. You get to know him off the field, completely different bloke, lovely guy. And it's chalk and cheese from what you see on the field and his perception, what people's perception of him would be to what he's like off the field. He's a, he's a cracking bloke. He's just got to up his drinking game by the time he comes on the live show in a, in a couple of months' time, eh? Yeah, I've spent a bit of time with Brownie, actually. We did a long interview up in Newcastle. And again, preconceived, he's a Harlequin. I was a Saracen. 
and there was beef there. And naturally, you have a preconceived idea of someone similar to what many people had of me. People, you're a maller. No, people thought I was a cunt, and now they think I'm a legend. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, as in <laughs> self-proclaimed. Really? Yeah. Well, really? I'm self-proclaimed. Well, I think they think I'm very different how I am, as you know. I never thought you were a C-bomb, Jim. I can't no, say you thought I was a joker. You thought I was a joker, which actually is the truth. <laughs> um, but similar to, you know, looked the way that he looked in terms of looked angry, looked pissed off all the time, similar to Owen Farrell. Like, Owen Farrell gets a similar thing because of his facial expressions playing one of the hardest sports in the world, which involves copious amounts of contacts and aggression. Yet people get annoyed with people like Brownie and Farrell and Jim Hamilton. Look, I'm putting myself in the bracket as them three. I'm happy to. I'm happy to do it. But no, mate, he's a good lad. He's a good boy. Yeah, he is. And he he says it how it is. Like, everything he said there is how it is. I couldn't quite work out where he was sat. He was sat on the fence a bit, wasn't he, about Eddie Jones and Razor Ruddock? He he, he, he didn't want to... Yeah, I wasn't too sure. (laughs) But, you know, the interesting thing is, is like, as in, you think someone like Razor, for example, and Brownie, Brownie wouldn't look at, like in terms of if you didn't know Mike Brown, like, and you wouldn't have seen what we're talking about now with him and his interactions and stuff like that. And the fact that, oh, don't, don't trust someone who doesn't drink. He doesn't drink that much. So you've got Razor, not that he drinks loads, but that environment, that culture where you can go and have a few beers, you can let your hair down if you had any goody. You know, like as in, would them two marry up in terms of a team? And absolutely, Mike Brown's, it isn't necessarily about breakdancing. It isn't necessarily about, going out and getting steaming. It's the human element to it. It's the human being able to level with different people. Like would Scott Robertson, his culture, marry up with Owen Farrell? Let's fucking get better every day. We need to get better every day. Just train hard, train hard, get better. And then fucking hit the dance floor and fucking break dance. (laughs) Question for you though, Andy Rowe. Obviously we're, we're talking Scott Robertson. Now we're sat over here thinking the RFU, we can go and get Scott Robert. Can we even go and get him? You know, are New Zealand going to let their best coach that's not coaching the All Blacks, because he's employed by the NZRFU, let's be honest about it, are they going to let their very best coach that's not coaching the All Blacks leave to coach one of their big rivals for the World Cup next year in terms of potentially winning a World Cup? Like, that gives England a massive boost and a potential to be any team by having a, a guy like Scott Robson at the helm. What's that, what's being said back in NZ? Well, if you remember when Brad Shields tried to come over here. Oh, God, we just wanted a yes or no, Andy Rowe. That was it. <laughs> the, the, long, the long and short of it is no. No way would they be letting England get a leg up. He is contracted until after the World Cup, Scott Robinson. So the only clause he's got to get out of coaching the Crusades is if he gets the All Blacks job. If he doesn't get the All Blacks job, he can come over here. But they're not going to let him out early. There's no chance. They didn't let Brad Shields come over here early, and Brad Shields wasn't even an all-black. They put up a fight about that. So Scott Robertson, no chance. So that's it. Borthers, that's the only one. Borthers it is. Borthers it is. Borthwick. Why doesn't anyone ever talk about Jamie Joseph and Tony Brown? James Brown, woo! Um, Because England put 50 on them. England put 50 (laughs) on Japan. (laughs) Japan beat Scotland, though, and Scotland beat England twice back-to-back, so... I know, but how bad would Japan... Against yeah. England. Yeah, they weren't great. I, I understand it. Jamie Joseph is a hell of a coach. Um, he's done wonderful things with Japan. But RFU, it's time, if you sack in Eddie Jones, to go anti-RFU, go the opposite of what you've always ever done, where you've gone safe, 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 safe. 
go hard, pay whatever it takes to get Scott Robertson and let's go and win the World Cup next year. Come on, England! And as we mentioned, Mike will be joining us in the live show in London in February along with John Barclay to preview the England v Scotland game. And you can get tickets now at ticketech.co.uk for that show at the O2 and our show in Edinburgh the following week. They're selling fast, so just go and check out ticketech.co.uk and search for the Rugby Pod. Well, you guys touched on it before. Steve Borthwick, he's done so well at Leicester, but you're saying that he's not the right person to coach for England because he's too same-same. Same, same. And I think he's done an amazing, well, I don't think, we know he's done an amazing job at Leicester, turning them from a bottom of the premiership side to winning it and the way that they won it. And everything you hear about Steve Borthwick is that he is the best coach that anyone has ever worked with. That's what you hear. And it's a big statement. So for me to say then, oh, I don't think he's England coach is a bit weird, isn't it? Because you think, oh, I want the very best coach to coach a side that wants to be the very best team. But like Mike Brown said, and I agree, and this is no slight on Steve whatsoever. It might be. I don't think he's going to be fucking bothered. But he's only a year and a bit into his Leicester job, right? You've got to think before that, he'd already coached England with Eddie Jones. He'd been in Japan. He was meant to coach Bristol and then had to get paid out of that job to coach England. I'd like to see him longer at Leicester. They're now in the Champions Cup. What can they do with that? He's only 43. He's got ages left to do that. I think it needs like a shock factor to this England team. That's my opinion. And in a shock factor, I again, we're talking about Scotty Robertson or Ronan O'Gara. There's not many others. Sean Edwards, potentially. I just don't know if Steve Borthwick is, re is ready. But then the question comes, if a Scott Robertson came in or Ronan O'Gara came in, they're not coming in for a year or even five, really, they're probably looking at it as a couple of World Cup cycles, like all the way up to the USA World Cup. I just don't think that Steve's ready, but all the whispers are, and look, you know, we could be recording this, and by the time it comes out, Steve Borthwick is the man. But again, I'll reiterate, I just, I'd like to see someone just with a, a more rounded understanding of the need for growing the game from a media perspective, from a fan's perspective, mm. I think we all want to see Scott Robertson as well, coach internationally. I don't, I don't want to see Ra Razor coaching the Crusaders again. Yeah, but I understand where you're coming from here. We may be talking about a lot of people that aren't available. Andy Rowe said it on here. NZRFU are not going to let Scotty Robertson go, right? So potentially that's ruling him out. If you're getting rid of Eddie Jones, O'Gara's ruled himself out. He signed a contract extension with La Rochelle for another four years to take him to 2027, I think. Sean Edwards, he's done the same. He signed a contract with France to take him to the 2027 World Cup. Where are we going? Like, who's out there that could take over? Gatlin's made his move and gone to Wales. Win Pivak. Wayne Pivak. Win Pivak. Who's Win Pivak? <laughs> Wayne Pivak. Yeah, and this is the thing. So, Steve Borthwick left England. And let's remember his departure from England. He left the England job as the forwards coach an assistant coach to Eddie Jones to go and get head coach experience so that he could come back under Eddie Jones for the 2023 World Cup and then take over the role afterwards. That was what it was all designed for. And he's gone to Leicester, done incredibly well, obviously turned the club around from where they were to winning the Prem last year. This year has been a bit of a mixed bag at the minute. You know, there's a lot of question marks around what he's doing. He's contracted for not just to the end of this season, beyond the end of this season. So that will also mean 
that the RFU are going to have to pay a lot of money to get him out. And with Jim, is he the right guy for it? If you're getting rid of Eddie Jones, who are the options? And this is what the RFU will be doing with their committee now of of three people plus six other people that no one knows who they are. We know it's Ian McGeekin. I mean, he's he's a Scotland legend. And I get Geech has got a lot of experience, but when was the last time he was involved in rugby? Jonathan Webb's a doctor, brilliant doctor, by all accounts, on the medical council, all this stuff. When's he ever coached in rugby? Don't know. When's he ever worked day in, day out in in rugby in terms of premiership, in terms of internationally, all that stuff? Same with Phil de Glanville. Council members, but at the level of rugby that we're talking about, when's their last involvement? So, And you've got Bill Sweeney, Goody. You've got Bill Sweeney, who's been asleep for two years. Like, literally, who sleeps for two years? <laughs> I'd like to. I'd like to, Me to too. I'd like to sleep for two years, but that man has. Like, as in, he, the guy told him in the review of the committee of loads of important people, he actually said to him, live on TV, mate, you've been asleep for two years. He's been asleep for two years. He doesn't even know what's fucking yeah. going on. And he's having to make a decision yeah. on... The richest union in the world. Madness. I just don't know where you turn. Eddie out, Razor in, but Razor might not be in because the NZRFU might not let him. So then you go Borthwick. Jim says no because it's too same-same and he doesn't like the media. Where are we going? England? Oh, who knows? Well, let's take a look at the premiership now. Then hell of a game between Bristol and Leicester on Saturday night. Who do you think will be happy with the draw? Bristol's three points against the champions. You look at the penalty count in the game, there was one point, it was nine pens to Bristol's and zero to Leicester or something. 10-0 at, at half-time. 10-0, yeah. it went to 10. 10-0 at half-time. 10-0 at half-time, there you go. And that's been the issue with Bristol all season. Something that we've spoken about has been around inaccuracies, which were there again, and their penalty count and getting on the wrong side of the referees. But they came away with three points against the champions. I thought Semi Randra looked very good and we know how good he is. We've been talking him up for years. One of the best players in the world when he was on form and injury-free. What about his hit on Freddie Burns, though? I'm mixed on that one because, one, it's like you can't really hit people like that anymore. But if Freddie was upright and he hit him like that and had the ball, then it was a great collision. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a weird one, but he's got the bit between the teeth. Old Semi Ranrandra is out of contract, isn't he? So he's looking for a big deal around the corner. But Leicester, very weird like in terms of the way that Leicester played, their strongest part of their game, and we know this because of the people that have been on the podcast who are experts around winning games and premierships, is their kicking. And the amount of times the ball went dead and watching Youngsy kicking box kicks into Rose Z on the fall was just, it was weird to watch really in terms of how they played. So I think Bristol will be happy with that. They're bottom of the league, Bristol, though. It's weird, isn't it, when you say you're happy with three points, bottom of the league, probably still going to be bottom by Christmas. But at 26 points to 12 up, Leicester will be kicking themselves, literally, for not winning that game. Obviously, the red card for Van Vake against Ellis Genge when he blasted him shoulder to the head from the tap penalty. That turned the game massively. But then Bristol, you sat there. AJ McGinty, now I've talked him up a lot now. I think he's a wonderful player. That last penalty, I am backing him to kick that probably nine times out of ten to win the game you know you get a penalty Whitcomb I think it was who was offside for Leicester uh, at the breakdown and it's one of them you're happy to get the draw because you were 26 points to 12 down you Steve Borthwick you rage him because you've lost from 26 points to 12 up you get a red card but then you're probably a little bit happy because they've got a 
fairly straightforward kick. 40 out straight in front of the sticks to win it. Yeah, but how close to the post was oh, it? Oh, no, it wasn't. It was a miss hit, effectively. So he's not struck it cleanly at all. And yeah, devastated for him. Actually, I'm not because I, I work for Leicester. So I've been in that position where you've missed a kick to win a game. You've missed a kick to draw a game. You've missed a kick at the death, come what may. And it's a horrible feeling. But like what Jim said, Bristol will be happy with the two teams. Ellis Genge, I thought, stepped up against his old club. Geez, that boy can carry, eh? What about him setting, setting up that try for Piotr where he's put the ball out the back where it looks like he yeah. slapped it, but in slow-mo, yeah. he's caught and passed it? New age front rowers, mate. Skill. It wasn't just him. We'll get onto it in a minute because Valpava Ruskin does one as well for Gloucester. So what is it with yeah. front row forwards just out the gooers, out the back? Could you ever do that, Jim, or not? I, actually, one of my super skills was that, yeah. <laughs> of course it was. Northampton looked good at times with their attack, but uh, their defence struggled it. Gloucester again, didn't it? Yeah, no, what a game. Could be 100 points. There's two teams that want to play very well matched. And both the def- I mean, both the defences at times this season has, lo- has looked very poor. Gloucester, a team that we've spoken loads about, obviously, because it's our favourite team. I was going to say second favourite team. But as Goody knows, we're now Gloucester till we die. And they've struggled sometimes defensively. They struggled a little bit the weekend against Northampton defensively, but Northampton as well. I do wonder, not that I've ever played a high-tempo game like that, but you must be absolutely hanging. You know what I mean? So therefore, your defence is going to be compromised. Like there's one aspect to that where it was like back and forth and I could just see Fraser Balmain, like, as in, I think he was down on two knees praying <laughs> that someone kicks the ball out. <laughs> like, please kick it out. He's absolutely hanging. He's out of contract though, so he had an absolute blinder. I know that. Yeah, whenever I see Fraser Balmain, I do think back to the bike ride and seeing him, how he got up some of those hills, I've got no idea. Fair play to him. And he can scrummage and he scored a try. How he got that try over as well, barreling over. Maybe it's the girth on him. But yeah, Saints started really well. Their handling was crisp. We know they can chuck it around. Freeman obviously scored a couple. Uh, but you've got to give a massive shout out to Carreras at 10. He was Wicked. ridiculous. Not many 10s in the world can say they've started for their team and beaten the All Blacks. He's done it for Argentina at 10. People look at him as a winger, fullback, sort of back three player. But he stepped up at 10. He's hardly played there. For Gloucester, I don't think he's hardly trained there when you hear what George Skivington said. His touches, his ball play out the line, his ability to beat someone. For Chris Harris's try, he stepped about three people, got a ridiculous offload away as well. The first try for Singleton, he floats one over the top to Ludlow. Ludlow then does a ridiculous offload inside. The boys can play, like the skill level of these players now. And yes, you've got the grunt. And I think George Skivington said it afterwards. He's loving life, by the way. Did you see him take the selfie with the fan before the game was over? There's a bloke that's come up to the coaching box and he's got his phone out. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. There you go. So it was a great performance by Gloucester. Val Rapava-Ruskin was ridiculously good as well. Ball out the back. Yeah. But going back to Saints, their defence is shocking. They're really good in attack. Their defence is poor. And you'd be honest about it. They've leaked the most tries in the Premiership. I think they've leaked 44 tries in 10 games, which any team that's trying to win the Championship knows you can't be even half of that to try and win the championship. And it does come down to games at the end of the season. Uh, but they're very creative. They they make a lot of chances, but don't finish them. Same story in the semi-final last year against Leicester when they made three or four opportunities. Skozan dropped it in the semi-final. They don't win that game. So it's all very well being a creative team that can chuck it around everywhere. You need a bit of steel as well to win a title. And that's where Saints are coming unstuck. But... Gloucester look pretty good. Bath have turned a few games around in the second half recently, but they couldn't quite do it against Quinns, could they? No, they couldn't. They gave it a good go. And it actually, do you know what? They'll look back on a couple of moments. There was two driving lineouts that got held up. 
their driving game in that second half was pretty good. But the one they'll look back at is when their two ex-Worcester players driving over a line out. So Ted Hill's got the ball in front. Ollie Lawrence has tried to sort of latch onto him, drive him through. Ted Hill's going to score, but Ollie Lawrence, his teammate, holds him up over the line with about five minutes to go, uh, which would have put them pretty much in front with the conversion. So they were sort of masters of, the, of their own downfall. Your own teammate stopped you scoring a try. Ollie Lawrence preventing Ted Hill scoring a try from a driving line out. Uh, but Quinns were, were good. Don Brandt back to his best again, picking a line for a try. Marler, weird interview, but he, he played pretty well carrying. I thought Craig David, not Craig David, Nick David had some big impacts from fullback as well. Bath, they've improved a hell of a lot. And you look at their injury list, it's horrific. Some of the players that have got missing, they've certainly improved. And Stuart Hooper's obviously doing a great job behind Van Graham with inspirational speeches again, isn't he? And Finn Russell's been spotted in Bath. Has he been spotted Ooh. in Bath? Oh, say no more. Jim, it's juicy. Could see it. Could see it happening. I could see Finn at Bath. Really? Yeah, I could, yeah. Yeah. From Paris to Bath. Mate, Bath's a lovely place. Don't shoot the messenger. You Did can. he tell you that on the piss in Scotland, Jim? No, I didn't ask him. No. Let's take a look at the URC now then. Jim, you were in Edinburgh, weren't you? I was. I was commentating on hashtag always versus Graham O'Roundtree's Munster. Yeah, there it you is. go. Yeah, I said it to him after the game, actually. He was like, what are you on about, you weirdo? I said, Wig, you know, because you listen to the podcast, you know exactly what we're talking about. Um... Edinburgh, if you think about everything that happened last week, the sad passing of Doddy, the emotion's been really high in Scotland, across the board, naturally, of course. And the build-up to that game was all about Doddy. So everyone was wearing tartan. We were talking about it on Premier Sports in the lead-up. So the emotion was high, right? So you knew that Edinburgh were going to come out of the blocks. First 20 minutes, brilliant. Exactly that. Goody will know as players but when you're watching a team right remember like the all blacks of old Andy Rowe when they were really good not yeah you compare Edinburgh to the all blacks but in terms of the way that they move you know when you watch the all blacks and when they were just on and they're everything the move the way they move into position everything from charge down they're flying into rooks like every tackle is a decent collision that's when a team's on the all blacks of old not so much now when Richard McCall was playing that was like Edinburgh for 20 minutes against uh, Munster. Scored a couple of tries early on. Uh, they looked like they could have put 50 points on Munster. I'm looking at it, I'm like, Wigsville, you've put the foundations in for Georgia, but goodness me, it's not working out at Munster because they've struggled this year, like as in struggled up front, uh, struggled with results. And the last few weeks have been better. They had a good win against Connor. Goodness me, they came back. Like It looked like Edinburgh's emotion just left them. Darcy Graham went off injured. Uh, they got a couple of knocks. Christine, who played well in the centre for Edinburgh. And Munster came back, power game. And then you look at the scoreline, 38 points to 17. Edinburgh struggled against hosing. Munster. Yeah, it was... Uh, Absolute hosing. Yeah, they that did. second half was a hosing, yeah. wasn't it? I'd say. I'd say they got hosed. Has something changed for Munster after this start to the season? Confidence. They spoke about fitness and all these different things. They've got a new coaching team. They've struggled up front. Again, I'll reiterate that point. Munster, a team with Peter O'Mahony, Peter O'Mahony, uh, Ty Byrne, uh, Gavin Coombs, Jean Klein, who I gave man of the match to. Like They've got some physical players in there. They've struggled in the scrum, they've struggled in the line-out, but they went back to Munster of old. Route 1, China, and Carberry was average in the first half, played really good in the second half. In the context of 
the season, but more the fact that Munster have got to lose this weekend. That was a massive win and Graham Roundtree very happy after the game and very bashful to be called Graham O'Roundtree. That's your point, Jim. Champions Cup rugby this weekend coming up. Munster kind of get serious, don't they? A couple of weeks before Europe starts. And obviously it's been disjointed with the URC rest and, you know, Autumn Internationals. But that second half was a, an absolute toasting, really, wasn't it? And they've got a massive game next week against Toulouse. So, listen, they're, they're a European powerhouse of a team, not necessarily in results, but in terms of the start of tournaments, they get themselves ready for it. And like you said, Graham O'Rountree is now Graham O'Rountree, Jim. It's great to hear you christen him with his full Irish name now, even if he doesn't like it or doesn't Deserves like it. it. Mate, they, put 30, they put 38 points on my hashtag always. So you did, that's it. That's the turning point. <laughs> we'll get to the Champions Cup in a minute. Plenty of incidents, though, in the Leinster-Ulster game, but Leinster generally got an answer to whatever's thrown at them, don't they? Well, to go 22 points to three down after a red card, that statement is correct, Andy Rowe. They went 22 points to three down against Ulster. Then I'll say they're nearest and dearest, but the one team in Ireland that give them a little bit of trouble. And... Keen Healy gets red carded for a high tackle on Tom Stewart. I was going to say it was a hard one to call. It's not because they were both bleeding. It was it's a weird. red every day. Yeah, okay, there you go. I don't know why I'm second guessing myself. It was a hard tackle for Keen Healy. He came off the back of the line out. He had to adjust. So it was a harsh red card, in my opinion, but the was right it? call. It, I just think that is a hard he's tackle upright. to make. Yeah, I know he's upright. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. You're right. I and thought, that, what we've been saying it for two or three years now. Like, yeah, as in, hard tackles. You have to, yeah, but you, like, this is where you've got to take line speed out. Sometimes you've got to go soak up. And that's where people yeah. go with line speed. They can't adjust. Yeah, you're right. And yeah. it's a hard tackle to make, and he's upright. And it is a red. Um, that's what they're trying to eradicate. Yeah, you're right. So. Yeah, it is a red. But then you're thinking red card down 22 points to three. Uh, Ulster started really well off the back of that, driving line out like they've been good over the last few years. Treadwell around the corner, route one, good try. Then Ethan uh, McElroy scores the length. So they were literally doing whatever they wanted. And I think that was the problem, Jim, because they were doing whatever they wanted. They thought that's the way to carry on. And I personally yeah. think you get that far ahead of Leinster at home. I'm not saying shut up shot, but play more astute. You know, force Leinster to play from deep. And they made errors, didn't they, Ulster? And I think that's, yeah, Leinster getting in the sheds at half time. They get a, a bit of a rollicking. They start talking about what they've got to do. Ugh, Ring Rose was ridiculous in that second half, I thought, wasn't he, uh, as a player. And uh, Ulster will be absolutely kicking themselves for letting that lead slip. And it's a lot of it will be around the game management and how they handled things because it was so easy at times for them, I think, in that first half and maybe got lulled into a, a false sense of security after the red card. Speaking of Leinster, should we have a look at Europe? Let's They're do up it. against Russing first weekend. Interesting battle, that one. Yeah. You know what, like firstly on Champions Cup, I was a bit doom and gloom on it because of everything around the English Premiership and almost like, well, what's the point of having Europe when your salary cap is just over £5 million and you're competing against 14 15 million? Why am I being so negative? You mentioned Racing Leinster there. When I see that fixture and I see Toulouse-Munster, I realise why. I love the juices The Champions Cup. Again. Yeah, they do. Yeah, I love the competition. Absolutely love it. And there's some cracking games at the weekend. And you mentioned that first one up. Leinster travel to the La Defense Arena in Paris. How are Racing trucking in the top 14? It's all about Europe, isn't it? Yeah, well, they smashed uh, Toulon away from home at the weekend. So They're struggling. The shags. They sent the shags. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, sent, they sent the shags down to Toulon. No Finn Russell. 
a few of the other big names missing as well, and they turned over Toulon. So they're going well. Uh, Christian Wade scored a few tries since he's going there. Obviously, Finn's been the magic man since he got dropped by Scotland, then re-picked by Scotland. So you'd, you'd expect him to be back next week. But yeah, it's a massive test, isn't it? You know, there's history between the two teams in terms of Leinster beat them in a final before, didn't they? Uh, Racing is the team. It's the one trophy that they can't get their hands on. Uh, and they're desperate to do it. So, And they're playing one of, if not the best team in the tournament, round one. So it'll be an absolute humding. I can't wait to watch that game. Who do you guys think overall are the, the big players this season? Who's winning it? Who's the dark horse? Well, I'm looking forward to the European Challenge Cup game between Poe and the Cheaters. Like, they're the two that I'll have my eyes <laughs> firmly on. Why am I... Like, I'm just trying to... I'm just trying to give them some profile. Right, the, the South African teams... You talk, you, you talk about the Cheaters, though, Jim. The South African teams coming into it, and so hard to read them now, the South African teams, because I'm presuming that they have to prioritise this tournament. So are we going to see all the Springboks back in action? Well, you saw some of them. You know, Marnie Leboc was ridiculous at the weekend, wasn't he? Uh, Kane and Moody as well was ridiculous. Arunsa was ridiculous. The South African teams beat the Welsh teams at the weekend 4-0 in terms of match wins. So seeing how the Stormers and the Sharks get on at the top table with the French teams being in there, um, I, don't, I just don't think with the power of South African rugby that you can discount the Stormers or the Sharks in terms of potential winners. Um, Leinster yeah. are going to be there or thereabouts. Saracens are going to be there or thereabouts, you know, in terms of the form that they're in. It makes it a really exciting competition. The unknown of having the, the South African teams in there and how they react to going away to Claremont. Like, Stormers are going away to Claremont this weekend. Yeah, that's Claremont, the one, isn't it? Oh. Like, seeing the Stormers play over there, like you just said, the pat, like, as in that's where teams struggle. When you watch La Rochelle, when they played against Leinster, they hammered them about a couple of years ago. And then we keep going on about that game. But you're right, like, Stormers, Claremont, the Sharks against Quinns at home. Like, what kind of power are they going to have? Right, let's finish things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah, we'll start off over in France with a bit of a Wasps twist for this one. Uh, Jack Willis gets a mention in the good this week. Uh, he scored on his first start for Toulouse. Great to see him get an opportunity play, to play for a massive club after what happened to him at Wasps. So, yeah, huge news for Jack Willis. Lovely bloke as well, as we all know. What else was good? Leinster's comeback against Ulster and specifically Gary Ringrose's performance in that second half. They were outstanding. Munster, their second half spanking of Edinburgh, gets a mention in the good as well. 58% territory, nine clean breaks, five tries. And Jim has christened Graham Roundtree as Graham O'Rountree for that Graham victory up in Edinburgh. So big shout out to the Munster boys. Uh, Gloucester get a shout out in the good this week with their seven try spanking of Northampton Saints. They look pretty good across the board, whether it be scrums, line outs, picking goose, counter attack ball in hand stuff they were pretty special so big shout out to the Gloucester boys I said it earlier the South African teams get a shout out in the good they played for one four against the Welsh I know it's only the Welsh but you still got a win all four games Marnie Leboc was good Kane and Moody ridiculous Arantza as well for the Bulls they're looking really sharp the South African teams going into Europe so can't wait to watch them this weekend Racing 92 get a mention in the good they sent the Shags down to Toulon and put 31 points on them. They spanked them 31-14, a massive away victory in the top 14. So big shout-out to them. Sticking in France, Bayon get a shout-out in the good. Uh, they had another good win at home against Lyon. They've been bottom of the table. Breva bottom of the table now, but Bayon on the march on the way up. Tough place to go and win there. So big shout-out to the Bayon boys. I'm going to give Connacht a shout-out in the good this week, and specifically my new holiday friend, Finley Bealham. Rocked into breakfast this morning. I'm like, that is a big human being. And he's got his ponytail there. I'm like, he's, he must be a rugby player. He turns around, it's Finley Beelham. So uh, said hello to him. 
He's going to come on the podcast at some point. We're going to have a beer by the pool tomorrow if the missus lets me because I've sort of left the kids alone for a few days. But yeah, big shout out to the Connacht boys. They had a good win over Benetton. But what I want people to do is go and have a look at Niall Murray's try. Second row, he's run it in from 55. Jim, echoes of you against India, India. back in the day. Yeah, I knew you were going to say it. There you go. What about the wheels on Niall Murray? Um, yeah, he's I not the biggest lad in terms of size, but uh, yeah, some finish. So big shout out to the Connacht boys. Uh, but the good this week, surprisingly, is going to go to Wales. Not because of Welsh rugby. Well, they've got Warren Gatlin back. Warren G is back in the house. Yeah, regular. So the good this week. <laughs> there you go. The good this week goes to Warren G, his agent, Welsh rugby. The romanticism around Warren Gatlin being back as head coach of Wales. It's a massive positive for them. Warren G is back in the house in Wales. So that's what gets the good this week. Uh, the bad, a few bits of bad to go with. Uh, we're going to start off with Northampton Saints defence. We mentioned it earlier. They've conceded 44 tries in their 10 games this season. Uh, that's their seventh try bonus point conceded as well. So uh, not the best defensively from Saints. And they got absolutely spanked down at Gloucester. So pretty poor from them. We mentioned the Welsh rugby getting the good. Well, we're going to put them in the bad as well because all four regions lost at the weekend. Played four, lost four to the South African teams. Pretty tough place to go, obviously. But... Uh, not a good weekend for the regions. Uh, Ulster, unfortunately, get a mention in the bad this week. We love Ulster. We're closet Ulster fans. But their loss at Leinster will be pretty harrowing for them when they review it back. From being 22 points to three up with Leinster down to 14 men, no better opportunity to get another victory up at the RDS. I think they won there last year. They should have backed it up this year. So it will be painful viewing of the, the match for the Ulster boys in terms of game management. So they get a mention in the bad for that. But finally, the bad this week has to go to... The disciplinary process, James. And I don't know whether you've seen this news this week, but Anton Dupont, remember when he took out... He's back. He's back. He took out Cheslin Colby in the air, which Jim Hamilton said is one of the worst things you've seen for a long time on a rugby field. Yeah. He got a four-match ban. He then appealed it, uh, and he got it reduced to two matches, and he only missed one game against Japan. So basically... The whole disciplinary system is flawed. It's French. And maybe... Oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, it's French. <laughs> yeah, it's French. I thought it was world rugby, but whoever it was, reducing DuPont's ban from four weeks to two weeks when you've cleaned someone out in the air, Cheslin Colby lands on his neck. Not a good look for the game. So the bad this week goes to whoever made that decision to cut from four weeks to two weeks. It's a shocker. And that's why you get the bad this week. The ugly. few bits of ugly this week, unfortunately. Uh, we're going to start off with Kean Healy. In the tackle, uh, he was two upright against Tom Stewart. Absolutely blitzed him in the face, so he was rightly sent off. Two of the bits of ugly that we've mentioned already. Semi Randrandra, I thought he was a bit lucky not to get a red card for taking Freddie Burns's head off. But to be fair, Freddie Burns was dipping a bit lower. But just, it looks horrible, doesn't it? When you're flying out the line like that, if he'd have been two inches higher, it's a straight red card. So it looked pretty ugly. But the ugly this week goes to Francois Van Veek, the Leicester Tigers prop. Definitely a red for the shoulder to the face of Ellis Genge. Um, trying to put as much as you can in the tackle, but you can he go upright, pal. That's why Francois Van Veek gets the ugly this week. Thanks, Goody. And you guys have got a couple of shout-outs to finish off with, don't you? Yeah, we have, as always. So a big shout-out to Millfield School, who are representing England in the World Schools Festival in Thailand. Lovely school if you're going to Thailand. From the 12th of December, with some of the best schools in the world, including Hamilton Boys. They're very good. I love a hacker. From New Zealand, St. Michael's from Ireland and Gray's College from South Africa. You can watch the games live on the Rugby Pass YouTube channel. Good luck, lads. Gray's will win that. 
I think Hamilton will be a little bit younger. All their seniors will left by seen, now. I've not seen enough school ball. Oh, rugby. mate, let it go, Andy. Right, you, you do you do more <laughs> research on New Zealand school ball rugby than you do on the Premiership. Anyway, uh, a big shout out as well to Ards Rugby Club and the lads over in Northern Ireland. They recently did a Movember and raised over £21,000, which might be the highest in Northern Ireland. So fair play, lads. Uh, well done to everyone at Ards Rugby Club. Hello, everyone in Hong Kong. It's Jim Hamilton. I'm sorry I can't be there for the great man's memorial service in Hong Kong, where he spent many, many years, many times hosting different events there. We were there just a few years ago, weren't we, uh, doing one of the big dinners, and there was a fantastic turnout. Uh, it was a real shame to see the passing of Doddy Weir. I know it's affected a lot of people in different ways. And we look upon the great man with such high regard and especially how he fought the terrible disease of MND uh, and the positive effect that he's had on the communities and the profile around his horrible disease. When Martin asked me to send a video in, he's like, send me some funny stories of Doddy. Uh, and there's loads out there that people can put their name to that say that Doddy told them this story or spent time with certain people and spoke about these things. And there are them stories out there, but one line which Doddy Weir always said on his after dinner circuits or any of the events I was at, that your number twos are my number ones. And that was one of the favorite lines that I enjoyed every time that I heard him speak. So we're going to miss him. Uh, I hope that you have some smiles and some laughter tonight. That's what Doddy would have wanted. And we'll hopefully see you in Hong Kong very soon. Yeah, another shout out from me as well. It's, it's, it's more a call to action. It's yeah. I think we did it before, Andy Rowe. I don't know how many miles Goody got in, but it's Doddy Aid 2023, and we were going to build the hysteria up. Of course, we were. We do that every year. So it's 2023, and we're going to be not that you know, but you do now know that your team barbarians, Andy Rowe. Congratulations, Goody. Congratulations. I don't know whether you're going to make any difference at all to team barbarians, but we've got a decent captain, Jason Fox. Foxy. Oh, here he is. Here he is. is. Foxy. Andy Rowe knows him or likes to think that he knows him. But yeah, so we're joining Team Barbarians this year. So you know where to go. But you just type in Doddy A 2023. You can put it on Twitter. You can sign up. You put it on online if you want, if you're old school. And you'll sign up to your team and you'll get a Doddy snood. And like we have done for the last couple of years, you can raise money. You can raise awareness. You can do all of the above. You can put a team together. Uh, throughout the new year and we'll have a lot of fun doing it there'll be online webinars and there'll be some events and stuff that we're running throughout that time so sign up for the barbarians doddyaid.com yeah definitely get involved with that and um, we'd also like to pass on our condolences to everyone at penrith rugby club uh, some sad news actually following the tragic passing of former first 15 captain ryan johnson uh, he's a real gentle giant and a leader of men ryan leaves behind his wife and two children so we're sending our deepest sympathies. Unfortunately, he passed away at training last week. Hopefully, everyone is coping as well as they can. And we send our condolences to Ryan's family and friends and everyone at Penrith Rugby Club. Yeah, absolutely. They've set up a Just Giving page as well. So any donations would be greatly appreciated to that. Yeah, have a look on Just Giving website and put in Ryan Johnson and please give generously. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Producer Rob, and thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure that you have subscribed on Spotify. Rugby Spot. Spotted Pod, 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 Pod. <laughs>